Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Game Wreckers and Slobberknockers. Today joining us is Coach Corey Harden, the defensive coordinator from Chaminade Julian. Welcome, Coach. Appreciate you having me. Um, excited to be here. Hopefully I can learn a little bit. You guys can learn a little bit, and uh, we can go from there. I think we're probably going to learn a lot more than you are from me being the goofy uh, host, because I tell you what, my job is just to have fun and try to get some knowledge out of you. There you go. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. All right. Yeah. All right, Coach. Hey, I, you know, I know you pretty well. Tell me, tell our listeners and viewers here a little bit about yourself, kind of like your history of coaching and any playing experiences you've had. Okay. Um, originally from Fairborn, Ohio, um, 2005 grad from there. I had the opportunity to go play college ball. Started off at St. Joseph's College in Indiana um, and then transferred to, it's now Mount St. Joseph University um, down in Cincinnati. Uh, was a two-year starter down there, captain my senior year, uh, and kind of in between summers, um, I would come back to Fairborn, and that's kind of how the the coaching ball started to get rolling. Uh, would help out during summer practices and help out during seven on sevens, and um, that's where I really found like you know it was something that I wanted to do. Um, so after I graduated, had the opportunity to join the staff. Um, as a as a JV head coach and defensive backs coach under Roy Toby, uh, spent two years there. Um, then I had the opportunity to be a graduate assistant at Urbana University for two years. Uh, my first year I worked with the receivers. Second year I worked with the defensive backs. Um, and then after that, um, it didn't it didn't look like I was close to graduating. Uh, so I made the decision to give up my spot. Uh, as a graduate assistant, because I know those are highly sought after. And, you know, my intention was to graduate with my master's degree. So uh, I, I decided to step away. Uh, had the opportunity to talk to Marcus Colvin, who was the head coach of Chaminade. Uh, had a great conversation with him. He offered me the defensive backs job. I took it and kind of worked it itself from there. Uh, it was it's kind of funny that Wednesday or Thursday before our, our jamboree scrimmage, um, he comes to me and says, you know, I, I liked how you, you've been working. You know, I think I can really trust you and what you, and what we're doing. He said, how would you like to be the defensive coordinator? And my first thought was, okay, like, I mean, that's that's great. The sec My second thought was it's we're about a week away from our first game. And, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if, it, if it's, if it's, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, but you know, I was, I was, that was a conversation that kind of going into it that he, he knew that that was the end goal for me was to become the defensive coordinator at some point. Um, so, you know, I must've worked hard enough to impress him and, and feel comfortable enough uh, to where he felt comfortable enough for me to take over the reins. Cause he was calling it. Um, he had been calling it for probably about six, seven, eight years uh, before that. And, when he took the job as head coach, he was still calling the defense. So um, he passed it over to me, and I've been doing it now for – I think I just finished up my seventh season. So, um, you know, just I've, – I've enjoyed it. Uh, we've made some changes along the way, um, some much-needed changes along the way uh, as far as scheme is concerned. And uh, But I enjoy every minute of it. I love our kids. Um, they work hard. Um, our coaching staff works hard. So I'm blessed to be where I'm at. Well, I'll tell you what, your journey surely got you ready for it. You know, you played two different colleges, and then you GA'd at a third style of college. Right. So, so 
everybody always hears these stories about GAs. Right. And, and, and like, like it's, it's the worst job. It's, you know, it's, it's just awful work. Was it really that bad? Yes and no. Um, it's definitely a grind, uh, especially at the D2 level, because you don't have as many full-time coaches on staff. Uh, so some of those full-time responsibilities falls on the GA's shoulders. Um, and, it should, and, you know, as I came in, it was told to me that you make your full-time coach's job easier and whatever that looks like. Um, so there, it was equipment. It was strength and conditioning. It was making sure we had everything we needed to travel um, on top of coaching your own position, <laughs> recruiting. Like there was, there was some full-time responsibilities that we had as GAs that GAs at most D1 schools don't have just because right. there's full-time coaches there. Uh, so a lot of the grunt work falls on their shoulders. Well, we got the grunt work and we got those full-time responsibilities. So it was definitely a grind. Uh, but I definitely learned a lot as a football coach. Um, I learned a lot as a, as a person, as a man, um, just through the experiences that I went through. Uh, there was a lot of sleepless nights where mm – -hmm. You know, you, you leave the office at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and then have to turn around and be there at 5.30. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, monster energy drinks were drank during that time to get me through. But it was a, it was a great experience. Learned from a, a great head coach in Dave Tainer. Um, had the opportunity to work under him because he called the offense. Uh, got to work under Paul Smith, who was our defensive coordinator at the time. Uh, so, you know, and it was it was a great opportunity for me because I learned both sides of the ball, um, which not many GAs get to do. Usually you are stuck on that side of the ball until you move on. Uh, and, you know, I got to experience both sides and some special teams. You know, I worked with E.J. Henderson, who was our receivers coach and special teams coordinator at the time. So I, I, I really learned um, the game. I learned scenarios, situations. Um, that, you know, I had not been privy to before I got there. Right. Well, hey, you know, you, you talked about late nights. I'm sure there are a lot of late nights in college because I know when I was a D.C., there were late nights in high school sometimes, you know. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it just kind of prepped you for the, for the job that you were getting to. And I think Coach Colvin did, did, did a great thing for you by just, hey, he made you jump. Like, hey, it's time for you to be the defensive coordinator. Congratulations. You're it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Like, you didn't have the time to think about like, uh, I don't know, like, okay, well, let's go do this thing. Let's go do it. And I, you know, I try to adopt as much as he did uh, as a DC. So, so I could keep it consistent. And then as I've grown year after year, I've kind of slowly taken it over to now it's kind of my baby. And, you know, he, he trusts me fully. He, he listens to my ideas. Um, and, you know, he, th he thinks that, you know, I'm a pretty good, coach to just let me run the show and he's kind of taking a step back so he could manage and be the CEO of the team so um and you uh, guys hey you guys are doing good you know it's you know everybody had kind of a funky year I think this year with COVID but right we, we did survive we did make it through it and there was you know there were some times where we weren't sure we were going to get there but we did absolutely so, you know, absolutely. You know well, he, to, to the state of Ohio Yep, and, and you know, you guys, I'm year in, year out. You guys are one of the better programs in the Dayton area, and you guys, you know, you do a great job with your kids. You know, we scrimmage you, you know, every year here for the past four or five years, and and you know, our kids do one thing. It it, it, it was going to be some thumping. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's it's what always the grind. You know, 
coming to you or you coming to us. It, right? it was fun times. And we missed out this year because they didn't nobody let us scrimmage. So <laughs> right, right, right. So, so hey coach, you know, one of the things you do really well is you play your stack defense. So let's talk a little bit about your stack defense. How did you settle on the stack defense as your base? So yeah, so um kind of the history behind it is, you know, when I was at St. Joe's, that was our, our base defense was a stack. Primary coverage was cover one. Um it's, it's kind of ironic. The head coach that I played for, Lou Esposito, he's now the defensive coordinator at Western Michigan. Um, and he, uh, he's, he no longer runs the stack, uh, from my understanding, but he, he still kind of implements some of the things that we did at St. Joe's uh, up there in Western Michigan. So uh, played in it. Um, when I got to Mount St. Joe, we kind of played with it a little bit, but we weren't necessarily based out of the stack. Um, and so when I got to Urbana and coached uh, on the defensive side of the ball, we ran the stack. So kind of familiar with it from, you know, my journey. Um, and then, you know, you fast forward to CJ. When I took over, we were a four-man front. We had the dudes to do it. Uh, you know, we had the bodies to do it. Um, and, that, and then that next year was a, a year where we lost a lot of cats, um, both to, to graduation and transfer. and. Um, we weren't as as deep as as we were previously, and we, we made the decision to go to a, a three man front. But going back and looking at the analysis of the season, a lot of what we were doing out of our our three four stuff was stack based. So I finally was went to Colvin. I said, "Look, I'm comfortable with the stack. This is what I know." Let's, let's get into it. He, and he first was hesitant. He said, I'm not that familiar with the stack. So, you know, if you can, you know, show me that we'll still be sound, we'll still be able to stop the run. Because at the time, the GCL was very run heavy. Uh, a lot of wing T, a lot of, um, you know, triple, you know, those, mm -hmm. those running style of offenses. There wasn't as much spread on our schedule. Um, he said, if, if, if you can prove to me that we're still be sound and be able to stop those, those types of offenses, we'll roll with it. And, you know, we came up with a great plan. And obviously, it, it always goes back to dudes. You know, we had a good crop of kids to implement the, the scheme with. Um, and then we were able to be successful. And, you know, the rest is, I don't want to say history, but, um, <laughs> you know, the rest is, it, it is what it is. We were able to go to the playoffs a few times and have some success and, we're still riding, riding with it now. Well, you know, when you, you talk about defending those formations, you're right. When you when you're getting started, you know, the two teams that pop out in my mind are Carroll and Alter. And those teams at that time were, you know, Coach Bartlett at Carroll was split back veer. Yep. He's going to have a tight end every time. Yep. And, you know, people always ask, how are you as a stack defense going to defend a tight end formation offense? Honestly, because of how we're lined up, um, there's not much that we have to do. Now, we can have some different adjustments that I like to do to it. Um, but our, we're, we'll line up in our base. Our base is, you know, two five techniques, a defensive end, a, a head up nose on the center. Um, and then our, our stacks are stacked right in behind in a 50. Um, and then our Mike linebackers in a double zero stacked right behind the nose. Um, and then we got our two overhang players. So, you know, 
some call it a three three five. Some some call it a five, or I'm sorry, a three five. Um, it it's, depends on how you get taught, but you know I consider it a three three five, but some will consider it a three five just because of how we line up in our shell. Um, so we still got our two over, overhangs down. Um, you know we I, we play with some too high stuff, uh, but our base is going to be you're going to get eight close to the box. Um, we'll, we'll have that middle of the field close safety and and then see if we can stop the run. So um, a tight end doesn't necessarily scare us um, because we can we can line up to it, still be gap sound, um, and then we can shift to a couple different fronts that, you know, if you're really trying to hammer it in there, uh, that we'll, we'll still be sound and add a couple extra guys down at the line of scrimmage uh, to combat that. Right. And, and Alter at the same time, they were running wishbone stuff. They hadn't got r truly in, they hadn't really gone all in on their spread. Right. And even, even now they, they'll still go back to the wishbone stuff oh, yeah. in there. Oh yeah. Right. We, okay. We I definitely saw a, a nice bit of that uh, <laughs> week, week eight. It was supposed to be week 10, but week eight. Right. Uh, well, past. I know this, I, I know how much those two games, especially, Mean to mean 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 to CJ because I hear all the talk. You know we don't, we don't have a lot of kids from Xenia go to CJ. We have a couple. Um, mm -hmm. I think we got a I think we have a girl golfer that 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 you got. Well, you guys have a girl golfer. Right. That's one of our Xenia students. But um, you know, our, our, if our kids go, their their feeder schools usually Carol. So I I know how heated that rival is, and I know how everybody hates that team over there on uh, East David Road. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I never understood it until I got into it. I actually had an opportunity to GA with Maurice Harden, who is a, a CJ uh, alum. And, you know, we getting recruiting. I was re recruiting a, a little bit of the Dayton area. And he's like, I said, Hey, I'm going to stop over at Alter. He was like, Hey, forget those guys, man. We don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't mess with Alter. I was like, why, man? It's, it's over. You graduate. Like, now that I'm in it, though. You understand. I understand. I understand. And it's it, it's the same way for them. There's, there's a level of respect, you know, for both teams. But um, at the end of the day, we don't like them. They don't like us. And, and we try to battle it out every year. And, that, and that's what makes high school football so great. Hey, one of the other offenses that, that I think sometimes people wonder about is, is the wing T. Now, I know you have your overhang players, and those guys I'll talk about here in a minute. But, like, with the wing T, like old school wing T, not like this new version, being in the gun. Because to me, it being in the gun, yeah, you're running wing T plays, but you don't cause, I think, the formation problems. Right. Um, that uh, that a normal play. So if you get a true, and I think maybe Fenwick was Fenwick and under this under the center wing T team. Yeah. So my first year, um, they were wing T under center, and then my second year as DC, they were went to triple. And then after my second year, the coach left, and they brought in a new coach, and then they started spreading it out. So, right. um, oh no, I take that back. My third year, they were split back beer. Okay. Uh, and then after that is when they got the new coach and started spreading it out. So, yeah, Fenwick, they they when they made that transition to you know winning a lot more football games, getting to the playoffs. You know, the, there was one year they beat Alter twice and, and different things like that. They were really really good. They were on the wing tee. So, um, 
again, it goes back to dudes. They had the dudes to do it. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it, it gave a lot of people fits. So how did you deal with it being a stacked defense? So, yeah, we, we try to change our front a little bit. Um, we don't try to sit in the stack just because of the angles. Um, one thing I've learned about wing T is all about the angles. If they can get the angles, they're, they're good to go, especially if they're trying to run buck sweep or jet or anything mm -hmm. like that. So um, we really try to cut off those angles by, you know, putting guys in, in gaps. Um, one thing that we did uh, is, you know, get into what we call our tough front um, is, you know, we, we'll – bring a guy down on the tight end. We'll leave the five there. Um, we'll shade the nose to a one to the strong side. Backside, we'll have a three. Backside, we'll have a five. Um, so kind of it's, it's an under front, really. Right. Um, and just try to cut off those angles, let our linebackers play fast. Um, and then what we tried to do against, because we played Bellbrook in the playoffs this year. Now, I will say Bellbrook gave us a good piece of work because um, they, they are really well coached. Uh, and they, they don't run, I would say, a traditional style of wing tee. They're more gap scheme based as far as power, mm -hmm. uh, counter, you know, stuff like that, um, which going into the game, I kind of took for granted because uh, I thought they were going to be trying to get more buck, buck sweep and, and that type of offense going because of, you know, they had some injuries, uh, but they stayed, with, they stayed the course. But we, we kind of stayed in our stack, um, but added another guy to, to the line of scrimmage. So, essentially, we had a nine-man box, um, and that seemed to work okay. Um, but really, you know, what, what did the best job, honestly, even though the scoreboard probably would, would tell you different, is staying in our stack and, and just blitzing different guys. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it depends on the team we play. Um, I think it also depends on matchups. Do we have great, great matchups, you know, whether it's up front with our linebackers to their, you know, skill players, whatnot, um, will determine what we do. Uh, we, but we try – honestly, what it comes down to is we try to be as basic as we, as we can be and run what our kids know. Uh, for a while there, early on as a D.C., you know, I was young and, and dumb and, and trying to come up with a flavor of the week defense. And, you know, when we saw those types of teams, so we would have our base defense. And then when we saw a wing T type team or a bone type team or a triple type team, um, you know, we had a different front for, for every week. And it just it wasn't doing any good. And our kids learned it. Don't get me wrong. Our kids did a great job of learning it. But, you know, you always look back and you say, if we played our base, how better and how faster could we play um, just because our kids had reps at it for longer than a week, you know? So, um, you know, that's what, I, you know, as we continue to, to pr progress and uh, now our, our schedule has changed so much from when I first started, you know, we would see at least one or two wing T teams. We'd see obviously Alter who runs the bone and, and different things like that. Honestly, our, our schedule this year was all spread for the most part, except for Bellbrook. Um, so it, it kind of, and, and Alter, obviously, but it, it kind of, you know, now that we have to get in our heavier packages and stuff like that, our kids still aren't used to it, even though we put it in and we rep it and things like that. Um, 
you know, your, your schedule dictates how much you run of that stuff. And uh, fortunately and unfortunately, we, we were, saw a lot of spread teams this year. So, um, you know, we didn't use it as much. So, and, and, you know, I think, you know, there are two things. One, when you're facing the wing T, I think you're right. You got to find out what series are they? Are, are, they, are they the Buck series team? Are they the Jet Belly series team? Are they the Power Gap Scheme series now? Because everybody seems, even though they're they're still running Gap Scheme. And then the other thing I think is, you know, when you're talking about how much better would you have been if you had just played your base, I think when you do know your base as well as you do, that you know what the answers of what they're doing are. Like, hey, if they're killing us with the Buck series, right. here's how we fix that problem. Right. And it's not like jumping into the like, – like you said, the flavor of the week defense. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're going to do that. We're going to do that this week, and this is what we're going to do. You don't – you may not know all the answers. Like, hey, if we're doing this front and they're killing us with this series or this play, you know, how – what's our answer to that, right? So, right. there is right. an advantage of being of, – of, like, this is our base. We know these are our answers, and this, this is how you get to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the versatility – of the of the stack defense does allow you to do some of that stuff relatively easy where it's not as hard to get you know it's not as hard to make adjustments like if you're in a forefront you know if you if you need to go play a three man front how do you get to it are you subbing right. somebody right. are you taking your most athletic defensive lineman on the boundary side and he becomes the drop you know so you got to change some of that stuff exactly and and it's it has been great because now it's it's almost like you're you know a, a, a mastermind because you can play with a little bit of the, play with those number numbers a little bit you can start in the three man front you can start in the four man front um, a five man front I've seen six man fronts um, out of the stack so uh, and, and we we line up in a three four and a five man front um, at any given time and keep the same personnel on, t- on the field. So um, I, I think that's what I enjoy about the stack. If you want to get into two high safety things, if you've got the personnel to do it, you know, we, we did a little bit of that um, this year. And we've done it every year. But I think this year we had a kid that was really athletic, um, but wasn't athletic enough to be like a corner or safety, like a true middle of the field safety. But he was athletic enough to play man-to-man. He was athletic athletic enough to read three away. Um, he was athletic enough to, you know, be up in the box uh, or back on the hash. And it, we never asked him to play half of a field, but he, he, he could do it if we needed him to. Um, but, you know, if you have the personnel to do it, there's endless uh, options when it comes to the stack because you can just – you can dial up what you want and, and go from there. And, and you know, whether it's a 3-5, the 3-3-5, three, three, listen to me, it's the 3-3 three, because three, everybody else is just our extra guys. The box is what counts. There are six yeah. guys in that box. You better know those six, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right, and so why, how do you – go ahead, Coach. I was going to say, and that's, how, that's why I like it because, you know, again, being a GA at Urbana, um, you, it's about the numbers. It, it, offense, for the most part, are looking at numbers. Um, do they have the numbers advantage? And we try to eliminate that as much as possible. So, um, 
you know, that's why I like this, having the six in the box. Uh, and I'll give you an example. When, when we get trips, uh, we try not to break the stack. We try not to pull that guy out. Uh, we try to keep that, that box, you know, mm-hmm. filled with our six guys and, and let them stop the run. And if they're hitting us on the outside, we'll figure out something coverage-wise to, to negate that. So um, I will very rarely break the box. Right. Uh, so, cause I like that six man box. Right. Hey, I'm, I'm as, as an even front guy, right. To my core, I'm an even front guy. I don't want to break six. I don't want to bring six guys. I don't, I don't want to make five guys in the box. Cause right. look, I, I can count. I can count too. offensive guys. Aren't the only ones that can count. I can count to five too. Right. They, they have, even if they're empty, they got six. If I go with five, we're short a dude. And I have to have somebody whip somebody up front. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. I need, I need to, you know, so I'm with you on that, on that thought process of, of maintaining box integrity of your defense as much as you can. All right, coach. So you, um, you talked about your overhang players and I think that's what makes that defense so unique. How do you coach your overhang players? Are, are, are they more linebacker trained? Are they more DB trained? So I think it depends on the position. So our strong side overhang, let me kind of back up. Our, our initially when we installed the defense, our defense flipped. Okay. Um, field boundary. About two or three years ago, we made the decision not to flip just because it keeps the read consistent for that player. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're looking at the same thing every time. Now, if there's a matchup situation, we'll sometimes flip the backers or something like that. But the only people that flip are the hang players, the overhang players. So our strong side field overhang is more of your traditional outside linebacker type kid is who I look for. Someone who's going to be able to set the edge, force the ball to turn back in, um, but is athletic enough not to, you know, get reached or anything like that. Or, you know, you're, he is your typical outside linebacker type player. That boundary overhang is more of that tweener kid who is – too small to play linebacker, but is either too big or too stiff to play safety. Um, but you can still get away with putting him back on the hash every once in a while. Can get away with like like the kid this year. He wasn't stiff by any means. He was athletic as all get out. So we were able to play a little more man to man and different things like that because he's normally your adjuster. At least for me, he's normally my adjuster. Um, when I need him to, you know, go guard a number two or play back and read three away or, you know, whatever that is. Um, so, for, fortunately for me, I coach the overhang players. So, how I kind of run my individual is we run, work on our run reads, block destruction, and then we get into our pass reads, steps, you know, all that. So, um, you know, I, I try to – give it the best of both worlds as much as possible. Now, sometimes I'll send my Rover, who's the boundary overhang, I'll send him with the DBs if they need to work on something. Um, if I need to, like I had a kid this year who, who was a sophomore, um, 6'3", 6'4", um, long arms, but he was like a buck 75. Um, <laughs> But he was great with his hands, and he could extend and and different things like that. So he would sometimes be my adjuster to come down to the line of scrimmage and set the edge. So sometimes I would send him down to the D line. Um, 
you know, it just, it just all depends on, on personnel. I've had a kid a few years ago who was 6'2", 190, great-looking athlete who was athletic. Now, he, he played number, the number one receiver at times on offense um, who was just athletic enough and just God gave him the talents to just play in space. You know, throwing bubble on him was very hard. Um, throwing screen on him was very hard because he – he was going to block destruct and he was going to get to the ball. Um, and then I also had another kid who was probably about five, seven, um, 160 pounds who you look at him and, and you're like, he should never play varsity football, played 11 games for us at, at our boundary safety. So, you know, it's, it's what you, what you need, uh, you know, or what you plan on calling. Um, it it kind of dictates, who plays where? Uh, like I said, we we were able to do some things with the, with the kid we had this year, just because he was so daggone athletic. But he wasn't athletic enough to go play corner or anything like that. Um, so, it, it I think the philosophy changes for that position a little bit year in and year out based off of who I have available. Good. Um, hey, now, so there are a couple questions that every 3-3 three, three team gets asked is, are you stunning a linebacker every play? Is there, is there, are you, are you a heavy blitz team? Or are you a heavy read team? Or is there a combination somewhere in between? I think it's in between. Um, we do try to send four, at least four every play. Um, sometimes we'll send five. Sometimes we'll show and back out. Um, that's something that we, we did a little bit more this year. Um, but I think, again, it goes back to game plan and, you know, what, what your kids can handle. We had a sophomore, Mike Linebacker. That's who I, I kind of run the defense through um, this year. Um, and he did a great job for us. But the previous linebacker, Mike Linebacker, who was a four-year starter, you know, he was kind of like a coach on the field, and I could feed him all this information, and he would retain it and call everything out and make the checks and things like that. Well, for this sophomore, I had to change my, my way of, of game planning and coaching through him just because he was a sophomore and kind of new to what we were doing. So, um, you know, but back to your original question, yeah, I try to make sure that we're, we're bringing at least one person. Um, if we get into long downage, we'll probably drop eight for the most part unless I feel like we can get pressure and hit home on our blitzes. Uh, but you 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 should at least see one coming, um, most likely two, depending on down and distance and things like that. Do you um, – and I'm not asking you to give away all your secrets here, but this is more of a, a philosophical thing. Mm -hmm. is, is your best defensive lineman one of the ends or is it your nose? Because I've heard both. I heard if you put your best player over the center, that there's going to be more problems for that guy. And I've also heard if you put your best player as the field side five technique, that he becomes a hassle and you almost force teams into running into the, into the boundary. Right. Um, or be so, like you guys are just are loaded and you got all three dudes up front. Uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, we've, <laughs> we've had some talent at that position. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, you have. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'll ask, I'll ask my two sons who've had to block those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we were blessed a couple of years ago. We were blessed because we had a defensive end who was 6'5", 240, went to Dartmouth. And then we had 
probably arguably our one B defensive lineman be the nose. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't have a great answer for you. Uh, I think we have done a good job of finding noses or being blessed with noses that, you know, do a good job of, of disrupting the center. Um, and because you're right. If you can disrupt the center, that's going to mess up the whole timing of the play because the snap is going to be messed up. He's more worried about blocking the guy in front of him versus snapping the ball. Um, and we've, we've created a lot of chaos doing, you know, being able to do that. Uh, but there's something to be said for a good defensive end Two. Now, I will say philosophy-wise, we're a spill team anyway. So we're, we're expecting the ball to, to spill out regardless of what side you run to. So really, I guess the, to answer your question, I would say nose first and then defensive end because the, the defensive end just has to be technically sound. If he can close a down block and spill every time, you know, he, he, he's going to do his job and we're going to make plays. Do you do you train the defensive linemen all the same way? Because I know some I know I know somebody that's that coaches the, the stack that their ends are coached by one person and their nose is coached by a second person. Right. So that's what we've tried to, to get to um, as much as possible. Uh, we had actually had the opportunity to do that this year where Coach Colvin coached our defensive ends, and then we had another coach, Darren Howard. Um, come on staff this year and he coached our nose um, and we were blessed to have Darren he was you know a two-year starter at West Virginia uh, played at CJ so you know our kids really respected him and what he said because you know he's walked the walk so um, not it hasn't been like that every year we usually have one coach but you know when you get two coaches it's, it's definitely I don't want to say easier but it makes things a lot smoother when you're right. when you're coaching and, and getting things done. No, absolutely. All right. So here here's the next question. How do you deal with four verticals if you're playing one high safety? So we what we do is so our overhangs will play, we'll split the difference. We'll apex. I'm assuming you're talking two by two. Yep. We'll start uh, with two by two. Yep. So our our hang players will apex the number two receiver in the MA online scrimmage. Um, and we've kind of adopted this technique that I don't want to say I made up, um, but I have not seen many teams do it. But we'll take him and we'll he'll get his run read. If it's pass, he'll open up. And he does like this, this uh, shuffle technique. And we do that because our – and that we do it because of our offense. Our offense likes to run hitch by number one, seam by number two. So – we're telling the corner he's got to split or apex one and two if they go yep. vertical. So if that guy hitches up, his responsibility is to buzz out to the flat right now. He has zero responsibility to get hands on number two. His eyes are open to one because his body is taking away the throw to number two. Okay. So he's getting out there. And now if they both go vertical, that alerts him. Now I can get hands on. Um, get a good declate, close the space between two and one for the corner. The corner is now apexing um, the two receivers. Okay. We don't rely on our – I know some teams rely on that free safety to play the number twos. We don't rely on our free safety to do that. Um, we just felt like we didn't have the athleticism at that position um, when we implemented the defense to do that. 
Um, if we feel like we have, you know, a, a guy that can start on one hash and still break up the pass on the other, then, you know, that's something that we, we can look into. But we like what we do. We, we put it on our corners um, just because I, th I think they can see the ball a little bit easier. Um, you know, they can make the play on the ball. Uh, we've had some pretty good success with it, and it also helps that, you know, we have some talented kids out there playing corner. So, um, And it's high school football still. Right. And, and, and getting a high school kid to th the hardest throw. I mean, I don't care who you are. The hardest throw. You watch the NFL guys. These guys get paid a million dollars. How many, how many vertical routes get thrown out of bounds by guys who make millions of dollars? Exactly. Exactly. Right? So, so having your corner sure. lean in on one, on two? Yep. So put the, put the pressure on the quarterback, make him make that throw. And, you know, and, and that's how we teach it. That's what, that's what we tell them when we install it the first day is look, not a lot of high school quarterbacks are going to make that throw. So trust that what you're looking at and how, how you're playing it will get you there if he wants to take a shot out there. So. Right. Especially uh, if, it, if he's on the opposite hash, you're right. the corner to the field and they're going to run two verticals and one up the hash, one up the numbers. Right. He's right. gonna throw the hash before he throws the number one. Exactly. So you you got and we always tell him you got time. You got time. Don't don't rush it. Don't you know panic. You have time to get out there. So um, our corners have, have done a good job with it. Um, and they so what they do technique wise is they kind of do a shuffle shuffle turn and run type deal um, to help them stay open to number two not lose sight of number one, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and if, if they throw it to number one, all they have to do is kind of wheel turn, uh, get to the hip and, and make a play. So right. um, it's, it's good technique that we've had pretty good success with, um, but our, our corner sometimes just don't go up and make a play when you need them to, you know, we've, <laughs> we've had they're those, still high school kids. Exactly. We've had that too, where, you know, they're in, they're in position and you think they're going to make a play and then all of a sudden the other kid gets the ball and it's like we can't play it any better except for just make the play. So you get, you get both of it. But if it's three by one, um, we kind of combo coverage it. And that's where we talk about um, that, that boundary safety rolling back. Yeah. Uh, so we'll play cover two to that trip side. Um, and then that boundary safety is going to cross key that number three receiver. If he get, goes vertical, we'll lock the boundary safety on – three vertical um, and then we'll play cover two to, to one and two and uh, with help uh, with the hang player. Cause he, he, he ends up being the free player in that uh, the strong side hang player ends up being the free player in coverage um, helping underneath if it's comeback or, you know, any type of swap situation. So. No, absolutely. A absolutely. It's, it's one of those things. And then the other thing is you got to get somebody to truly run you know, they'll line up everybody worries about the hey, three by one, four verticals. I'm like, I don't know how many teams really can get number three vertical across the other hash. He's usually running a, a drag kind of over there, maybe at right. 10 yards. Right. Like the linebackers should be able to help a little bit on that. Right, right, right. So unless unless they've they've done such a great job, maybe they're gonna do a little play action with it that they're they're zone them. reading that guy right at that linebacker trying to suck him up, but you know. And, and honestly, we we practice we probably practice against three verticals more than we actually see it in a game. Um, you know, there were, there hasn't been a lot of teams who run run that concept, especially out of three by one. Right. Um, it's usually some type of swap or some type of wheel route or something. Mm -hmm. You know, something I would say tricky, if if you will, uh, versus just. 
flat out birds. Awesome. Well, Coach, hey, I've definitely taken a lot out of this one. So we're going to – we got two segments left. The first one is the game wrecker and slobber knockers. So okay. who's the best game wrecker, the kid that's messed up more offensive game plans and they've had to do more against him? I've had a lot of kids. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a hard one. <laughs> I think the first kid that comes to mind was a kid by the name of Rocky Stark. He was one of our stack backers. Um, and that kid – didn't always follow the game plan, but he always ended up where he needed to be. Right. Um, you, lo you love coaching those kids because it, it stresses you out in the moment, but <laughs> he's, he's making a lot of plays for you. Um, he's the no, 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 yes. <laughs> exactly. That, that was the type of kid he was. You know, he saw an opening, he would just go, and he would make the play. Great tackler. Um, you know, he was, he was undersized linebacker, but uh, – he did, he did a great job for us. The other one would probably be David Frederick, who ironically is a stack backer as well. Um, just all over the place wrestler. So he knew, understood body placement, movements. and Leverage. Leverage, exactly. So, <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was great. Unfortunately, David was a senior this past year, so we won't get to be uh, working together um, anymore. But, you know, those two were probably – two of the, the best linebackers that I've coached um, in my short coaching career. So, All right. Sounds great. Sound like two players for sure. All right. So what's the biggest slobber knocker hit you've ever seen as a player or coach? As I, uh, that's a good question. Um, Unfortunately, it was it was against our team. We were in the playoffs um, in 2017. We were playing New Richmond, um, probably the coldest game that I've ever coached in. Wind chill was like negative 12 or something like it was cold. Um, our quarterback, you know, sprints out of the pocket, gets the first down, um, and that New Richmond had a quarterback who was playing safety. He uh, I want to say he went to Eastern Michigan or Marshall or, or you know, one of those smaller D1 schools. Um, but kid was athletic, 190. And our, our quarterback, instead of just going out of bounds and not getting hit, he thought he could put his shoulder down <laughs> and it just didn't work out for him. Didn't work out for him. We thought, we thought he might have died for about three seconds. Um, <laughs> But he popped up. I mean, he popped up, you know, he finished the game and we ended up winning the game and going to the regional final. So, uh, but that, that one sticks out in my mind for sure. Cause everybody in the stadium cold, as cold as it was, everybody was, Ooh, it was, it was one of those hits. So. Awesome. Awesome. Like, you know, nothing against quarterbacks, but it is a lot more fun when those guys get hit, especially when they're outside the pocket. As much not, as not when it's ours. Not, yeah, when, not it's when it's yours. <laughs> not when it's yours. Not you want your ours. guys to be doing that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. All right, Coach. Hey, last last segment of the of the show is always called Bringing the House. Okay. Gotta put a little pressure on you. Uh -oh. Five random questions. Okay. Kind of like just give me your first initial response. All right. All right. Uh, what's your favorite movie quote? Movie quote. Um, probably too explicit for <laughs> YouTube. Uh, but 
the barbershop scene and, and uh, coming to America. Okay. All right. Who has the best wings in Dayton? Best wings? Uh, roosters. Roosters. Good. All right. Who's the better pro wrestling villain? The Iron Sheik or Jake the Snake Roberts? Probably have to go Iron Sheik. Okay. Uh, Jake the Snake was is uh, a close second, though. All right. All right. Which is the biggest game loss for the Miami Hurricanes? Oh, God. Catholics versus the Convicts in 88 or Flutie versus Phelan in 84? Uh, Catholics versus Convicts. Okay. All right. And then this last one, you're going to have to explain, I think, to me a little bit. Uh, I was told to ask you, what is the sudden change drill, and why do you always <laughs> cheat to win? <laughs> so sudden change is, is something that, you know, me and another coach who, again, Coach Maurice Harden worked at Urbana together, that was a period that happened out of nowhere. So we'd be practicing, we'd be an individual, special teams, whatever. Head coach would, would blow the whistle, stop everything. Yell out sudden change. It's best versus best, um, and then you just, you just scrimmage. Um, I don't know about the cheating part. <laughs> I don't know about the cheating part. He, I, I think, if I know who 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 gave you that information, you know who gave me the information, coach. I think he just he's just a little bit upset that you know I'm, I have the better record in in these sudden change situations. Uh, but it's just it's, – it's an opportunity for our kids to kind of redirect focus. And, you know, you have these, these sudden change moments where offense turns the ball over or defense gets, gets the ball back. And um, then you, you figure out what happens. What, what do you do after that? And it's, it's always fun. Uh, it always gets heated. Um, there's always, there's been a couple times where, where people have been chin to chin, you know. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it shows your kids the competitive nature of the game and, you know, your kids get fired up, you know. Um, you know, I, the quarterback that I just talked about, every time he sees me, he, he brings up sudden change because I always talk, used to talk smack to him and he used to talk smack to me. So, um, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great period. Uh, and it's random. That's, that's the best thing about it. It's not built into the schedule. Uh, you just – you know, whenever the head coach feels like doing it, he blows the whistle, puts the ball down, says first down, and you got to go. So, well, hey, just so you know, when I got that information about about you, you know how, how you always have to cheat to win it, I said, well, that's a typical offensive guy who has all the rules in his favor, exactly. accusing accusing us poor defensive guys of having to cheat to win. He knows better. He he, because <laughs> at Urbana, I don't think the defense won one time. Like <laughs> all the. We did sudden change every day, and I don't think the defense won. So, right. he already knows the, the deal. So, uh, <laughs> well, it, it, this is coming from the same guy who who made the coaches go on the sideline and coach from the sideline. So, <laughs> it, coach, it, hey, fun. Hey, it is fun. And, and it does – hey, I tell you what, that's the kind of competition in practice where your kids are going to get more out of that competition – than some of the other competitions I've seen, like the one competition, like one-on-one -on -one pass rush. I think right. that's a loaded drill, and I'm a defensive coach. Right. I'm like, that defensive lineman ain't got to worry about no run fake. He just taking off. Exactly. That, exactly. that sudden change drill, i tell you what, I like that drill. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that one on my list of drills to make sure we get done. There you go. There you go. Coach, hey, I can see why CJ has been such a great power 
um, in the Dayton area and, and in the state of Ohio. I think you guys are doing a lot of great things. I appreciate you taking time out of your day here and uh, joining us on the program. I appreciate it, Coach. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit of ball. Uh, starting to get that itch back. You know, had, had a few days off. Now, now it's time to get refocused and focus on that 2021 season. Absolutely. Hey, viewers, thanks for joining us this week. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Game Wreckers and Slobberknockers.